We're going to be learning in Chidushim Aron Riz HaLevi, the second piece in Hilchos Tanios. And this is an interesting piece because Rab Velvel explains the nature of the Sudam of Sekes, the final meal before the Tishabav fast. So there's all sorts of halachas that govern that meal because the morning of Tishabav begins even before Tishabav during that meal. So Rab Velvel is going to define the nature of the Avelos, the morning during that meal on the afternoon of of Erev Tishabav and how it differs and leads into the Avelos of Tishabav. The Gemara in Tanis Daflamid writes, Any meal that comes about as a result of Tishabav, so this is talking about the last meal before the fast, so even though obviously one's allowed to eat, but they cannot have meat or drink wine or take a bath during that time. Any meal that's not as a result of Tishabav, so if they're eating earlier in the day, so they're allowed to eat meat and wine, but they're still not allowed to take a bath. Now, the Rush has another version where it says that they are allowed to take a bath. So there it's a clean cut that the final meal before Tishabav is prohibited in meat and wine and a bath, but before that is allowed meat and wine and a bath. Rabbi Shmuel, Rabbi Yossi, Omer Mishum Aviv, Rabbi Shmuel, the son of Rabbi Yossi, quoted his father, Kol shash mutar lechol basar mutar lirchotz. Whenever you're allowed to eat meat, you're allowed to take a bath. Now, Rashi has another version where it says, Kol shash mutar lechol mutar lirchotz. So long as you're allowed to eat, which is up until sunset, you're allowed to take a bath. So according to that version, Rabbi Yossi is disagreeing that up until Tishabav begins, one is allowed to take a bath, even though they're not allowed to eat meat at that point. So there is a debate between the Tanakama and Rabbi Yossi at the Suda Hamafsekes, the final meal before Tishabav, is one allowed to go ahead and take a bath at that time. Now, most of this doesn't apply nowadays because we extend these prohibitions earlier to the nine days. So we don't notice the change from the nine Nine days to the afternoon before Tishabav. But what we do is only customs that extended these prohibitions. According to the halacha, the prohibitions only kick in at Tishabav or right before it. And that's what the Tanakama and Rabbi Yossi are debating. When does the prohibition to take a bath kick in? Now, the Rush quotes the Ramban that he explains that it's prohibited to eat meat and wine at the final meal before Tishabav. And at that time, a person also accepts some practice practices of mourning, including not taking a bath. So that's the view of the Tanakama, that once they get to the final meal time before Tishabav, it's already prohibited to take a bath, even though Tishabav has not begun. And Rabbi Shmuel, Rabbi Yossi disagrees. He holds that one can take a bath up until sunset of Tishabav. Then the Ramban says that the halacha is like the first view, that it's prohibited to take a bath during the Sudam of Sekes time, because that seems to be the view of the Brisa. It just rules accordingly. And then it quotes that Rabbi Yossi disagreed, but that's one person going against the consensus. So we rule according to the Tanakama, the mainstream view that it's prohibited to take a bath during the Sudam of Sekes. But he asks that the riff did not bring down this halacha. So the riff never says that it's prohibited to take a bath during the Sudam of Sekes. So it sounds like the riff rules in accordance with Rabbi Yossi's view that it's allowed to take a bath up until sunset.
So the Ramban asks, why does the riff side against the Brisa? So he says, maybe the riff thought that since the Mishnah does not mention this prohibition, the Mishnah only says that it's prohibited to eat meat and wine at the Sudam of Sekes, but it never prohibits bathing. So it sounds like the Mishnah follows the view of Rabbi Yossi that bathing is permitted at that time. So that would explain why the Rif rules like Rabbi Yossi, because he's following the Mishnah against the Brisa, but says the Ramban that this is not so. Because first of all, the Mishnah didn't want to get involved with the bathing issue, because that's dependent on when the person begins their own personal Avelos. So the Mishnah wants to list universal categories, like it's prohibited to eat meat and wine at the Sudam of Sekes, which applies to everyone. It doesn't depend on when each person begins their Avelos. So that explains why the Mishnah omitted the bathing issue and says the Ramban, we're not going to prioritize the Mishnah's omission over the actual halacha of the Brisa. So the Mishnah didn't comment on this issue, but the Brisa said that it's prohibited. So we follow the Brisa, the Mishnah left out a halacha, and the Brisa then clarified it further. But according to the Ramban, we follow this rule of the Brisa. So once someone begins the Sudam of Sekes on the afternoon before Tishabav, they are beginning their personal practice of Avelus, and they're not allowed to bathe at all or even wash a finger, just like on Tishabav itself, that all begins during the Sudam of Sekes period. So there is a debate between the Ramban and the Rif whose view we follow. According to the Rif, we follow Rabbi Yossi that there is no prohibition to bathe during the Sudam of Sekes period. And according to the Ramban, we follow the Tanakama that it's prohibited to bathe at that time. So to explain what they're arguing about, Rabbi Velvel now analyzes the Mishnah about this. The Mishnah rules Erev Tishabav lo Yochal Adam Shnei Tavshilin. At the Sudam of Sekes, the last meal before Tishabav, you shouldn't have two different dishes. It should be a simple meal with one dish. Lo Yochal Basar lo And there should be no meat or wine. Reb Shem ben Gamliel Omer Yishane. So Reb Shem ben Gamliel disagrees with this. He doesn't say it necessarily has to be one dish and no meat or wine, but a person should eat less than they would eat at a normal meal. So they have to change something. Rabbi Yehuda Yehuda said that you have to turn over the bed and the rabbis disagreed with him. So that's a way of showing mourning to sit on an overturned bed. So Rabbi Yehuda requires that and the Chachamim disagree. So there are two debates in this Mishnah. One is between Rabbi Shimon ben Gamliel and the Tanakama, what the Sudam of Sekes can consist of. And the second is Rabbi Yehuda and the Chachamim, whether you have to turn over the bed. Now it's unclear in this Mishnah whether the debate between Rabbi Yehuda and the Chachamim is following from the first one. So the first debate has to do with the afternoon before Tishabav. So then Rabbi Yehuda and the Chachamim are also debating about the afternoon before Tishabav. So Rabbi Yehuda holds that even on Erev Tishabav, one has to turn over the bed and the Chachamim disagree with him. But they're not debating on Tishabav itself. Presumably everyone would agree that on Tishabav, one has to turn over the bed. Or the other way to read this is that the debate between Rabbi Yudah and the Chachamim is totally separate from the first debate. So the first debate is about Erev Tishabav, how much one can eat at the meal. And Rabbi Yudah and the Chachamim have an entirely unrelated debate whether one has to turn over the bed on Tishabav. But everyone would agree that on Erev Tishabav, he doesn't have to turn over the bed. Rabbi Yehuda requires turning over the bed on Tishabav, and the rabbis didn't agree with him about that.
So it's unclear whether Rabbi Yehuda and the Chachamim are debating on Erev Tishabav turning over the bed or on Tishabav. So Reb Velvel brings a proof from the Yerushalmi. The Yerushalmi asks Yeus Amar Reb Yehuda that it makes sense, like Reb Yehuda said, that one should turn over the bed on Tishabav. So my time of the Rabbanan, why do the rabbis disagree? So the Yerushalmi explains the view of the Rabbanan, Asuk Mishemeso Mutalifanov, Enolokofes Mitasov, Loyoshin Algav Mitakfuya. The Chachamim consider it like someone who has not yet buried their loved one. So in Halacha, we call that an Onain. A person is an onain until their loved one is buried, at which point they sit shiva, so they become an avel. So the chachamim consider a person to be like an onain, and that's why they disagree with Reb Yehuda that he does not have to turn over the bed because that's a practice of avelos. This person is at the step before avelos when they do not have to turn over their bed. So from the Yerushalmi, it must be that the debate between Rabbi Yehuda and the Chachamim is talking about Erev Tishabav. Because obviously on Tishabav itself, we would not call people an Onain. That's a day of Avelos. We're doing all the practices of Shiva, of not bathing and not wearing leather shoes. So that's all Avelos. That doesn't apply during Onain. So the fact that the Yerushalmi explains that according to the Chachamim, we don't turn over the bed because the person is considered an Onain not in Avel, so that's talking about Erev Tishabav. And according to the Chachamim, the moments before Tishabav, the person has a status of Onain, so that's why they don't turn over their bed. And Reb Yehuda holds that on Erev Tishabav, the person is also considered an Avel, so they do turn over their bed. So everyone would agree that on Tishabav itself, the person has to turn over their bed because they're an Avel. But at the Sudam of Sekes on Erev Tishabav, so there there's a debate according to the Chachamim, they're in Onain, and according to Rabbi Yehuda, they're in Avel, so that's why according to the Chachamim, they don't turn over the bed. And the Vilna Gaon, in his commentary on Shulchan Aruch or Achaim, Tafkuf Nun Beis, quotes the same approach from the Trumas Hadeshen, that at the Sudam of Sekes, one has the status of an Onain, so that's why it's prohibited to eat meat and wine, because that is the rule of an Onain, that they're not allowed to eat meat and wine, so we practice that at the Sudam of Sekes, and then on Tishabav itself, we shift into the status of an Avel. So that's like the Yerushalmi. So this is a very interesting approach. Basically, the rabbis are trying to recreate the entire process of the Shiva. So we begin with the Onain, and the time of that is the afternoon right before Tishabav, and then it shifts into Avelus. So it models the regular steps of the morning process. So now that we understand that the Sudam of Sekes is a time of Onain, Says Rab Velvel, now we could explain the riff's position that one is allowed to bathe during that time. Because the riff holds that the debate between the Tanakama and Rabbi Shmuel Barab Yossi, whether one is allowed to bathe during the Sudam of Sekes, is the exact same debate between Rabbi Yehuda and the Chachamim, whether one has to turn over the bed at that time. As we just said, the debate between Rabbi Yehuda and the Chachamim is whether the person is considered an Avel or an Onain, and that's 
the same issue between the Tanakama and Rabbi Shmuel Rabbi Yossi. An Onain is allowed to bathe and an Avel is not. So according to the Tanakama, we consider the Sudam Afsekes a time of Avelus, like Rabbi Yehuda. So that's why it's prohibited to take a bath. According to Rabbi Yossi, we consider the Sudam Afsekes a time of Onain, like the Chachamim who disagree with Rabbi Yehuda. So that's why one is allowed to take a bath at that time. Because the prohibition against bathing does not kick in during Aninus until the Avelus period begins. So now that explains why the Rif rules like Rabbi Shmuel Rabbi Yossi against the Tanakama of the Brisa. The Ramban asked why is he siding with Rabbi Shmuel Rabbi Yossi's individual opinion against the consensus of the Brisa, but the answer is because Rabbi Shmuel Rabbi Yossi is the same view as the Chachamim who disagree with Rabbi Yehuda and the Rif rules in accordance with those Chachamim that the Sudam of Sekes time is considered Aninus, not Avelus. So that's why one does not have to turn over the bed. So for the same reason, one is allowed to take a bath because it's the period of Aninus and the Avelus has not begun yet. And that's the language of the Rif. He explains lo hodu lo chachamim, that the Chachamim disagree with Rabbi Yehuda that one does not need to turn over the bed because it's a period of Aninus. So the Avelus did not begin yet. So the turning over the bed does not begin until Tishabav itself. So the Rif quotes the Rushalmi's explanation for the Chachamim's view that it's Aninus and not Avelus. So Reb Velvel asks, why is the Rif adding in explanations for the Chachamim. The general principle is that the Rif just rules what the practical Halacha is. So why here is he taking the time to explain the view of the Chachamim? Says Rav Velvel because he's trying to tell us that based on this reason we also follow the view of Rabbi Shmuel Rabbi Yossi that one is allowed to take a bath during the Sudam of Sekes. Because since it's a time of Aninus and not Avelus, so the prohibition of bathing has not begun either. And Rav Velvel says that this is even hinted at in the language of the riff because the exact phrase that he uses is eno noheg avelus the avelus does not begin on Erev Tishabav, the eno chai bekfias amita and he does not need to turn over the bed. So the riff is saying two things, that it's not the time of Avelus, and the turning over the bed didn't begin. Now, he's talking about whether one has to turn over the bed. So he's just told us that you do not need to do that on Erev Tishabav. Why does he add in an extra superfluous phrase, Eino nohig Avelus, that Avelus does not begin at that time? Says Rav because he's hinting that one is allowed to bathe, like Rabbi Shmuel Rabbi Yossi, because it's the same base view. Since it's a time of Aninus and not Avelos, therefore turning over the bed did not begin and the prohibition against bathing did not begin as well. So that explains the ruling of the Rif that he agrees with Rabbi Yossi, even against the Tanakama of the Brisa because he's ruling in line with the majority of the Mishnah who disagreed with Rabbi Yehuda about the same issue. But now, based on this, Rabbi Velvel adds that the Ramban's disagreement with the Rif is Lishitaso. It's consistent with the Ramban's overall view about Aninus. Because there is a debate between the Rambam and the Ramban whether an Onain is allowed to bathe. The Rambam rules that all the prohibitions of Avelos, regardless of whether it's something that one has to do or something that they have to avoid, like not bathing or not wearing leather shoes, all of those prohibitions and behaviors only begin 
after the funeral during the Avelos. But during the period of Onain, none of the prohibitions of Avelos apply. There's separate prohibitions of Onain. So in Onain does not eat meat or wine. They don't make brachas or daven. But in Onain has none of the prohibitions of an Avel. So they are allowed to take a bath according to the Rambam. The Ramban in the Torah Sa'adam disagrees with the Rambam and he holds that only the behaviors that an Avel has to do, like turning over the bed, so sitting on a low chair, that begins during Avelos after the funeral, not during Aninos. But the prohibitions of Avelos, like not bathing or anointing, doing things that are comfortable, that begins during Aninos as well. So according to the Ramban, the prohibitions of Avelos apply to the Onain as well, and he is not allowed to take a bath. And this debate is quoted in the Shulchan Aruch Yaradeya Simen Shin Mem Aleph. So according to the Ramban's view that an Onain is prohibited to take a bath, we cannot explain that the debate between the Tanakama and Rabbi Shmuel Rabbi Yossi, whether one can bathe during the Sudam Afsekes period, has to do with whether they're an Onain or an Avel. Because even if you hold that a person is an Onain on Erev Tishabav, it still is not going to allow them to bathe. So Rabbi Shmuel, Rabbi Yossi's view that one is allowed to bathe on Erev Tishabav must be a totally different issue unrelated to the debate between the Chachamim and Rabbi Yehuda whether on Erev Tishabav one has the status of an Avel or an Onain. So that's why the Ramban, consistent with his own view, asks on the riff, why is he ruling according to Rabbi Shmuel, Rabbi Yossi and against the Tanakama of the Brisa who prohibits bathing on Erev Tishabav? What reason would the riff have to side with an individual view against the consensus of the Brisa? That's the Ramban, consistent with his view that the debate between the Tanakama and Rabbi Shmuel, Rabbi Yossi over bathing on Erev Tishabav is unrelated to the debate of Rabbi Yehuda and the Chachamim about turning over the bed on Erev Tishabav. But for the Rif himself, we could say that he agrees with the Rambam and the Rambam holds in the first chapter of Avel that an Onain is allowed to take a bath. So now the debate between Rabbi Shmuel, Rabbi Yossi and the Tanakama over bathing on Erev Tishabav is the same debate between the Chachamim and Rabbi Yehuda over turning over the bed on Erev Tishabav. So that's why the Rambam rules like the Rif he does not mention anything about a prohibition of bathing on Erev Tishabav. So he's following the view of Rabbi Shmuel Rabbi Yossi that one is allowed to bathe on Erev Tishabav, and that's in line with the Rambam's overall view that an Onain is allowed to bathe. So once we see from the Chachamim of Rabbi Yehuda that on Erev Tishabav one has the status of an Onain, so it follows that they're also allowed to bathe like Rabbi Shmuel Rabbi Yossi. So the Rambam rules in accordance with the Rif's view of the whole issue that on Erev Tishabav, one is allowed to bathe because they're equivalent to an Onain. So this is the consistent debate between the Rambam and the Rif versus the view of the Ramban, how to understand the debate between Rabbi Shmuel, Rabbi Yossi, and the Tanakama, whether that's the same debate as Rabbi Yehuda and the Chachamim about the status of someone on Erev Tishabav. So now, so far, Rabbi Velvel's shown that the Rambam follows the approach of the Rif. But we still don't know whether the riff holds that a regular Onain is allowed to take a bath. Meaning, does the riff agree with the Rambam about that? Because that's an important final step to say that the riff and the Rambam are following a similar approach. That the riff holds every Onain is allowed to take a bath. 
So Reb Velvo in the final paragraph proves that final point. The Ramban in the Torah Sa'adam writes that even though an Onain does not have to turn over their bed, but they're not allowed to sit on a regular bed. So they have to sit on the floor. So according to the Ramban, it's not that there is no rules about where the Onain sits. They don't have to turn over the bed and sit on it, but they also can't sit on their regular bed. So what the Ramban is saying is that this halacha of an Avel turning over the bed has two components to it. One is a prohibition to sit on a regular bed, and the second is a mitzvah to turn over the bed and sit on it. And the proof for the second component is because the Avel has to turn over all the beds in the house, even the one they're not sitting on. So we see that it's not just a practical matter that they can't sit on a regular bed, so they have to turn it over and sit on it. But there is a positive mitzvah. One of the behaviors displaying mourning is to sit on an overturned bed. And the Rambam in Hilchus Avel, Hey Yud Zayin and Yud Ches, also repeats these two components to turning over the bed. How do we know that an Avel cannot sit on the bed? So he quotes a Pasuk, that the king sat on the ground in mourning. So we see that an Avel should not sit on a regular bed. And he has to turn over the bed. And not only the bed that he's using, but all the beds in the house. So again, the Rambam stresses that there are two different components to this halacha. One is a prohibition to sit on a regular bed, and the other is an obligation to show mourning through the behavior of turning over all the beds in the house. So that's like the Ramban, that there are two components to this halacha. So based on that, the Ramban says that an Onain does not do the behaviors of mourning, but they do have the prohibitions of mourning. So they don't have to turn over all the beds in the house, but they are not allowed to sit on a bed. So they either turn over one bed for themselves to sit on, or they have to sit on the ground, but they can't sit on a regular bed. So now, if we apply this back to our discussion in the Gemara about turning over the bed on Erev Tishabav, so even though the Chachamim disagree with Rabbi Yehuda, and they hold that one does not need to turn over the bed on Erev Tishabav because they're an Onain, not an Avel, but that only means that they don't need to turn over the bed, but they should still be prohibited from sitting on a bed during the Sudam of Sekes, because that's the ruling of the Ramban, that an Onain does not have to turn over the bed, but they can't sit on the bed. So the same should apply at the Sudam of Sekes, according to the Chachamim, since this person has the status of an Onain, they don't have to turn over the bed, but they can't sit on the bed. And in fact, says Rav Velvel, that could fit into the Yerushalmi. The language of the Yerushalmi is, Asuk the rabbis consider the person on Erev Tishabav as an Onain. He does not turn over his bed or sleep on an overturned bed. So the Yerushalmi seems to be adding something. Not only does the person not have to turn over the beds, but they're not allowed to sleep on an overturned bed. So that aligns with what the tour in Yaradea Simon Shinmem Aleph quotes from the Ramban that an Onain is prohibited to sleep on any bed, even if it's turned over. So according to the Ramban, an Onain has two rules. One is they're not allowed to sit on a regular bed. And second, they're not allowed to sleep on any bed, even if it's turned over. So that's exactly what the Yerushalmi is saying about the Sudam Mavsekes, that one is not allowed to sleep during that time, even on an overturned 
bed. And in addition, the Yerushalmi says they don't need to turn over the bed, but it sounds like they're not allowed to sit on a regular bed. So this aligns exactly with how the Ramban describes in Onain that they don't have to do the positive behavior of turning over the beds, but they're still not allowed to sit on a regular bed or sleep on any bed. And that's exactly what the Yerushalmi applies to the period of Suda Mafsekes. So the Yerushalmi fits in very, very nicely with the Ramban's description of an Onain. And in the parentheses, Rab Velvel adds that according to this approach of interpreting the Gemara based on the Ramban, so this also explains very nicely a discussion in the Bavli as well. The Gemara quotes a brisa that Moda Rab Yehuda agrees to the Chachamim that one does not need to turn over the bed if they're unable to. And the Chachamim agree to Rab Yehuda that they should if they are able to. So when's the debate? They both agree that if they're not able to, they don't have to. And if he is able to, he should. So when are they debating? They're debating the other beds in the house. Like the Brisa says, that one does not only overturn the bed they're using, but they turn over all the beds in the house. So according to Rabbi Yehuda, he turns over all the beds in the house. And according to the Chachamim, only the bed that he's using. So Reb Velvel asks on the approach of the Gemara that it seems out of left field. Where do we ever see in the initial debate between Rabbi Yehuda and the Chachamim anything about the rest of the beds in the house? They're debating whether the guy needs to turn over the bed he's using. So how did the Gemara suddenly get to a debate about the rest of the beds? Says Reb Velvel, according to the approach that he's developing now, so all of this makes perfect sense. Everyone agrees that this person is not allowed to sit on a regular bed. According to Rabbi Yehuda, because he's like an Avel. According to the Chachamim, because he's like an Onain. And an Onain is also not allowed to sit on a regular bed. The question is, does this person need to do the behavior of Kfiyas Hamita, of turning over the beds as a positive expression of Avelus? So Rabbi Yehuda holds, yeah. The Chachamim hold, no. There's only a prohibition to sit on a bed, but he doesn't actually have to do Kfiyas Samita. And the place where that comes out is the rest of the beds. An Avel has to turn over all the beds because that's his mitzvah. Whereas an Onain just has a practical issue that he has to turn over the bed that he's sitting on, but not the rest of the beds. So that's why the issue of the rest of the beds in the house is implicit in the debate between Rabbi Yehuda and the Chachamim. So this approach explains those lines in the Gemara very nicely. But there is a problem with this approach because the Gemara in the Bavli seems to disagree with it. The Gemara quotes that Rava said, Rava ruled practically like the Chachamim in all ways. The Chachamim do not agree to Rabbi Yehuda at all. So that means according to the Bavli, according to the Chachamim, on Erev Tishabav, one is allowed to sit on a regular bed. And that contradicts the ruling of the Ramban that an Onain is not allowed to sit on a regular bed. So how do we understand the view of the Bavli of Rava that on Erev Tishabav at the Sudam of Sekes, one is allowed to sit on a regular bed? So Rav Velvel says that there's two options. Either Rava disagrees with the Yerushalmi's reason. The Yerushalmi said that the Chachamim 
Chachamim hold the person is like an Onain, not an Avel. And Rava disagrees with that. He explains their reasoning differently. So Rava would agree with the Ramban that a regular Onain is not allowed to sit on a bed. But he disagrees with the Rushalmi that at the Sudam of Sekes, the person is considered an Onain. So that's one option to understand this. The second way to say it is that Rava agrees with the Yerushalmi that the person at the Sudam of Sekes is an Onain, but only in the view of the Brisa, which said that according to the Chachamim, one should not sit on a regular bed. So according to the Brisa, Rava agrees with the Yerushalmi that the person is an Onain, and that's why they shouldn't sit on a regular bed like an Onain. But the Mishnah understands the view of the Chachamim differently. He holds that according to the Chachamim, one could even sit on a regular bed at the Sudam of Sekes. So the Mishnah disagrees with the Brisa about this, and he interprets the reason for the Chachamim's leniency differently, not because the person is considered an Oni. But either way, however we fit these sources together, what is clear is that according to the Ramban's ruling that an Onain is not allowed to sit on a regular bed, so the Rushalmi's explanation for the Chachamim is not the practical halacha because Rava in the Bavli disagrees with it. So if we factor through all these sources, at the end of the day, the explanation for the Chachamim is not because the person is considered an Onain, it must be some other explanation, which allows them to sit on a bed like a regular person, which is prohibited for an Onain. So according to the Ramban, the Yerushalmi's reason for the Chachamim, that on Erev Tishabav one is considered an Onain, is not the practical halacha. So now we're back to a question on the riff. Why did he quote this reason when the riff always brings the practical halacha. So the riff obviously understood that the Yerushalmi's explanation for the Chachamim, that the person is considered an Onain at the Sudam of Sekes, is the practical halacha. But now we're left with a question, why are they allowed to sit on the bed if they're an Onain and that's prohibited for an Onain? So says Rav Velvel, the answer for the riff is that he holds like the Rambam, that an Onain does not have any of the prohibitions of Avelos, unlike the Ramban. The Ramban is the one that said that an Onain has the prohibitions of Avelos, which includes sitting on a bed. The Rambam disagrees. He says that an Onain has no prohibitions of Avelos. So the Onain can take a bath, the Rambam seems to indicate that he can sit on a regular bed. The Rambam makes no mention of this prohibition of the Ramban that an Onain is not allowed to sit on a regular bed. And that's consistent with his view that there are no prohibitions of Avelos for an Onain. According to the Rambam, the whole prohibition of sitting on a bed and turning over a bed, even though he agrees that those are two separate components, but the whole thing only begins after the funeral at Avelos. None of it applies to the Onain. So now that makes sense of the Yerushalmi, which explained the view of the Chachamim, that one does not turn over the bed on Erev Tishabav because he's an Onain. And according to the Rambam, that means that they can even sit on a regular bed as Rava ruled. So according to the Yerushalmi's explanation that this person is an Onain, according to the Rambam, it means that there are no prohibitions. They don't have to turn over the beds. They could sit on a regular bed and they could sleep on a regular bed up until Tishabav begins. So there is no kind contradiction between Rava and the Yerushalmi, they're all agreeing that this person is an Onain, so there are no prohibitions on how they can sit or sleep on the bed. So that explains why the Rif quotes the explanation of the Yerushalmi, because it does not contradict Rava's halacha in the Bavli. But the only way this is going to work is if we say that the view of the Rif 
is that an onain has no prohibitions of avelos. So they're allowed to use the bed however they want. They don't need to turn it over and they could take a bath. So this is proof for the missing step that the riff agrees with the Rambam that an onain is allowed to take a bath. So now this reinforces Rabvelvel's whole analysis. That's why the riff rules that one can bathe during the Sudam Afsekes because that's the same issue as turning over the bed during the Sudam Afsekes. The Yushalmi explained that debate between Rabbiuda and the Chachamim, whether the person is an Onain or an Avel, and that's the same question as to whether they're allowed to bathe. So the Chachamim of Rabbi Yehuda is the view of Rabbi Shmuel Rabbi Yossi, and that's how the riff rules. So at the end of the day, Rabbi Velvels proved that there are two major approaches to these halachas. The riff and the Rambam hold that an onain has none of the prohibitions of Avelus. Whereas according to the Ramban, an onain does not do the mitzvahs of Avelus, but they do have the prohibitions. And from there it follows that there is a debate in the Brisa whether one can bathe during the Suda Mafsekes. So according to the riff and the Rambam, that has to do with whether they're an onain or an Avel. And we rule that the person is an onain so they're allowed to bathe. According to the Ramban, that has to be a different debate because even an Onain is not allowed to bathe. So it's not related to the question of whether someone on Erev Tishabav is an Onain or not. And even more so, the Ramban does not even consider that explanation of the Yerushalmi to explain the debate between Rabbi Yudah and the Chachamim over Kfiya Samita to be the practical halacha. Because according to the Ramban, an Onain is not allowed to sit on the bed regularly or to sleep on the bed at all. And the Gemara says that at the Sudam Afsekes, according to the Chachamim, one could sit on a regular bed and sleep on it. So according to the Ramban, the explanation of the Yushalmi is not the practical halachic explanation. There must be some other explanation of the view of the Chachamim, whereas according to the Rif and the Rambam, that is the explanation even at the conclusion of the whole discussion. So this is Rab Velvel's piece. Now, interestingly, this piece is quoted in practical halachic discussions in the Kovetz Chuvis of Revel Yashav in Chelek Al so his son-in-law, Rabbi Chaim Kanievsky, writes to him that in a case where Tishabov is on a Sunday, so it's right after Shabbos, and someone gets sick, so they have to eat on Tishabov, is it better to make Havdalah and then eat? Normally, we don't eat before Havdalah. Or in that case, is it better to just eat on Tishabov and then make Havdalah on Sunday night after Tishabov? So Rabbi Chaim Kanievsky argues that it's better not to make Havdalah on Tishabov. And part of his argument is because since you're not allowed to drink wine at the Sudam Afsekes, so then it certainly seems logical that you can't have wine on Tishabov. So even though this person is sick and they're allowed to eat and break their fast on Tishabov, but they're still not allowed to drink wine. So they can't make Havdalah on wine on Tishabov. And Rab Chaim Kanievsky is hesitant about making Havdalah on other beverages. So he says that it seems likely that someone who's ill on Tishabov does not need to make Havdalah. They're allowed to eat and break their fast because they're ill. And then on Sunday night after Tishabov, they make Havdalah on wine. So now this is a debate between the poskim. Rab Chaim Kanievsky quotes the Chuvis Zecher Simcha and the Tzafnas Paneach who agree with his view not to make Havdalah in such a case. But Ravel Yoshev responds that he does not agree with that view. He follows the position of the Knesset Hagdola quoted by the Birke Yosef and the Stechemed that one does need to make Havdalah before they eat on Tishabav. So according to Ravel Yoshev, there's an obligation of Havdalah. But what about the issue that they're not allowed to drink wine on Tishabav? 
So first, Rav Yashav suggests that there are other beverages that they can use. But then he says that according to Reb Velvel, this makes sense. Because even though it seems logical that if you can't drink wine at the Sudam of Sekes, then you certainly can't drink wine on Tishabav itself. But the way Reb Velvel explains these categories, at the Sudam of Sekes, a person is in Onain, so they cannot drink wine or eat meat because that's the halacha of Aninus. But when Tishabav starts, so everyone has the rules of an Avel, and there is no specific prohibition to drink wine for an Avel. So that would mean that according to Reb Velvel's analysis, there is no prohibition to drink wine and meat on Tishabav. There's a general prohibition against eating, but if someone is sick and they have to break their fast, so then there's no extra prohibition to drink wine as opposed to any other beverage. So that's how they could make Havdalah on Tishabav on wine. So according to Rab Velvel's analysis, there is a practical distinction that one who's ill on Tishabav can drink wine. Now ordinarily it's probably better to avoid that and drink simpler things, but if Tishabav's on a Sunday then they are able to make regular Havdalah on wine. Now, Revel Yashav quotes that the Orzarua in the laws of Tishabav, Simen Tuf Tesvav, so he disagrees with Rab Velvel's framework and he writes that even Tishabav is like the period of Aninus. So Rab Velvel was explaining that the Sudam of Sekes is like Aninus and then we shift into Avelus on Tishabav, but the Orzarua seems to say that the whole thing is modeled after Aninus. So then obviously it would be prohibited to drink wine on Tishabav. So Rav Yashiv suggests making Havdalah on grape juice in order to be cautious for this Orzarua. So this is interesting that the Orzarua uses Rav Velvel's model, but he doesn't have a shift. So the whole Tishabav, the Sudam Afsekes, as well as the day of Tishabav itself, is all like the period of Aninus. So that's a very interesting discussion in that tshuva. Now, Reb Velvel's nephew, Reb Yosef Dov, in a Sefer Shi'ure Harav on Avelus and Tishabav, so in Simen Yud Beis of the section on Tishabav, so he also discusses this whole issue. And he asks a very interesting question on the idea that the Sudam Afsekes is compared to Aninus, which is that the base the basis for the rules of Aninus is because the mourner is supposed to be focused on burying the dead and not sitting and drinking wine and meat. So it's not that the mourner is so broken and so crushed and sad that they avoid meat and wine. There's actually a practical reason to the prohibition against meat and wine because the Onain is supposed to be dealing with the funeral arrangements, with the practical details of burying their loved one and not doing anything else. So that's why Tosos and Brachos, Yerchesem Aleph, quotes from the Yerushalmi that if the Onain has someone else to deal with the arrangements, so let's say there's a few mourners or let's say they give the person to a funeral home, so the Onain does not have practical responsibilities, then they're actually allowed to drink meat and wine, even though it's before the burial. So based on that, Rabbi Yosef Dov asks on Reb Velvel's whole approach, what does it mean to say that the Sudam of Sekes period is compared to an Onain when obviously the person mourning the destruction of the Beis HaMikdash has no practical arrangements to make? So if it's just a general form of sadness, then we could say that the person about to go into Tishabav is experiencing added sadness, just like 
the immediate shock of losing someone. So they're like an onane. But since onane is a practical issue that the person should be making arrangements for the funeral, so what does it have anything to do with the Sudam Afsekes when the person is mourning something that happened thousands of years ago and there's nothing for them to do practically? So that's a very interesting question. So because of that, he explains the prohibition of meat and wine at the Sudam Afsekes is because meat and wine are used in the Beis HaMikdash for the sacrifices. So in order to remember that we no longer have the Beis HaMikdash and can't bring those sacrifices, we avoid meat and wine at that meal. But it's a different concept than onane. So according to Rabbi Yosef Dov, there's two different categories. There's onane who's prohibited to eat meat and wine in order to focus on the practical funeral arrangements. And then there's the Sudam of Sekes, which is prohibited to have meat and wine in order to mourn the Beis HaMikdash, where meat and wine were used in the service and the sacrifices. Now in Simen Chav Zayin, he again revisits this issue and he explains there are differences on tissue above between the first half of the day and the second half. So at Chatzos, at midday, some of the rules lighten up. So there's all sorts of discussion why this should be. So Rabbi Yosef Dov proposes that in the morning, in the first half of the day, it's like the person is in Onain. And then at Chatzos, the person shifts into an Avel. So the same shift that his uncle proposed from the Sudam of Sekes to Tishabav, he proposes from the morning of Tishabav to the afternoon of Tishabav. But then again, he asks the same question, how can we call someone an Onain on Tishabav? when they have no responsibility to arrange anything. So those are some of Rabbi Yosef Dov's additions to this discussion. Now in Simen Yud Aleph of that Sefer Shi'ure Harav, as well as in the Sefer Nefesh Harav on page 198, so he quotes an idea from Reb Moshe Soloveitchik, which has some similarities with his brother Reb Velvel's analysis in this piece. So even though it's not totally related, it's just worth seeing how the brothers have a similar trend of thinking. Reb Moshe Soloveitchik said that there are different levels of mourning around Tishabab. There's the three weeks, then the nine days gets more serious, then the week of Tishabab becomes more serious, then the afternoon of Erev Tishabab is even more serious, and then Tishabav is the most serious. So Reb Moshe Soloveitchik believed that the different levels of mourning need to follow halachic levels of mourning. So a regular mourner has the week of Shiva, followed by the Shloshim, the next 30 days, followed by the year if it's for a parent. So when it comes to personal mourning, the levels go down, as opposed to Tishabav, where the levels build up, obviously because people need to get more in the zone of mourning the Beis HaMikdash, as opposed to their personal losses, which they feel more easily. So Reb Moshe Soloveitchik said that the three weeks lines up with the mourning practices of the year for a parent. So that means no weddings, no parties, no haircuts. Those are the practices of the year. The nine days is parallel to the Shloshim. So that's why there's no new clothes. During the nine days, we follow the prohibitions of the Shloshim. And then Tishabav itself is like the Shiva. So now based on this, Reb Moshe Soloveitchik had a big leniency. The Shulchan Arach and Simen Tafkuf Nun Aleph Siftes Zion quotes the custom not to pleasure bathe during the nine days, which would also include swimming. So that's the common practice that people don't take a hot, comfortable bath or shower during the nine days, and they don't go swimming based on this stringency. But Reb Moshe Soloveitchik argued that we don't practice that nowadays because the source for that custom is the Ramah in Yoridea Simen Shinpei Aleph, 
who rules that even though the halacha only prohibits taking a pleasure bath during the shiva, there was a custom not to pleasure bathe during the entire 30 days. So now these two customs are parallel. The nine days, as we said, is the equivalent of the shloshim. And during shloshim, there was a custom not to take a hot bath. So the same custom applies during the nine days. But nowadays, we don't follow that custom not to take a hot bath during the shloshim, presumably because we take baths much more often. So that wouldn't work to go for the whole 30 days. So nowadays, we dropped that custom when it comes to personal mourning. So we only avoid pleasure bathing during the shiva, not during the shloshim. So if so, said Rabbi Moshe Soloveitchik, the same should apply to the nine days, which are the equivalent of the shloshim, that it would be permitted to pleasure bathe and to swim up until Tishabav itself. So obviously on Tishabav itself, that's prohibited. And that afternoon would be a debate between the Rambam and the Ramban, as we saw. But according to Rabbi Moshe Soloveitchik, one would be allowed to take a hot, pleasurable bath as well well as go swimming during the rest of the nine days. So that's an interesting leniency. And it's also based on a similar mode of thinking to his brother, Reb Velvel, that during this time period, the rabbis are not creating new forms of mourning, but they're applying the traditional categories from the laws of Avelos to apply during this time of year. And there's the same sort of shift that goes on during the laws of Avelos from more stringent to more lenient forms of mourning. It also happens around the Tishabav period that it goes through a lot of those same steps just in the reverse.